Hey, I'm Holly from Massachusetts. I'm James from Salt Lake City. I'm Jason R. Wallace from America's Georgia in these United States. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is produced independently and supported by listeners like you and me. You should support the show like I did. Just visit MaximumFun.org slash donate. I'm Jesse Thorne. You probably won't get through this holiday season without hearing Ronnie Spector. I saw Mommy kissing Santa Claus? Come on. As a kid, Ronnie didn't spend her Christmases in the idyllic settings of Christmas songs like Sleigh Ride. Ronnie spent her Christmases in New York City. I remember being in school, and in, in the books, they always had Santa with the black, you know, the black boots on coming down the chimney. So I asked my father, I said, we don't have a chimney. Where's Santa? How is he going to get here? I was so upset and frustrated. And he said, Ronnie, Santa is coming down the fire escape. I was so happy, Jesse. I ran to my room. I put the covers over my head, and I fell fast asleep. And that's the true story. It's a bullseye. Coming up, my interview with girl group superstar Ronnie Spector. As the lead singer of the Ronettes, she recorded some of the most iconic Christmas music ever made. We'll talk about her best holiday memories. We'll also talk about her career and about some of the gentlemen that she flirted with in her prime. John Lennon was a cockeye over me. He took me in this back room at Deco Records, and I almost had to use a whip to get that guy out of the room. Then later, my interview with Fred Schneider. You know his voice, he sang for the B-52s, and he's a guy that definitely gets into the spirit of the season. Schneider recorded a Christmas album with his other band, the Superions. He'll deliver a very important holiday message. Give me presents. Hip-hop critic Andrew Nas will tell us about a couple of rap songs that you can play at your holiday party. The host of the advice podcast, My Brother, My Brother and Me, will guide you through some Christmas gift etiquette. And I'll tell you about a song that I put on pretty much every holiday season. That's all coming up on the Bullseye Holiday Special. Let's go. Silent night, holy night, jingle bells, jingle bells, walking in a winter wonderland. <laughs> How was that for a fabulous Christmas carol medley? <laughs> it's me, Pee Wee Herman, in case you didn't figure it out. Duh! <laughs> I'm here to just wish everybody the merriest, merriest, merriest of Christmases. Happy New Year and Happy Hanukkah to my Jewish friends. <laughs> ah! <laughs> It's Bullseye, I'm Jesse Thorne. Ronnie Spector and her girl group, the Ronettes, were the centerpiece of the Phil Spector wall of sound in the 1960s. Their huge hit, Be My Baby, still gets tons of airplay on oldies stations. Ronnie was a teenager when she started recording, and the only thing bigger than her ambition was her hair. The Ronettes recorded some of the most iconic Christmas music ever made in 1963. It was for an album called A Christmas Gift to You from Phil Spector. It's been a few decades, but Ronnie's love for Christmas hasn't faded one bit. When I spoke to her in 2010, she just recorded a new album of Christmas songs. It's called Ronnie Spector's Best Christmas Ever. Ronnie Spector, welcome to Bullseye. Hi, Jesse. It's great being here. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I love Christmas. What were the things that you did special at Christmas uh, uh, growing up in, in Manhattan? Oh, gosh. I, well, first of all, I always went to Radio City to watch the ice skating rink. And my father would always take me and my sister to see them put up the tree when they lit it, you know, uh, at Radio City. Sure. So we did so, so many things like that. Um, and just getting Christmas ready at the house. I remember my father, because we lived in an apartment, and he used to take the tree and drag it down the hall. That's when I knew it was really Christmas. Now, you had uh, you just had one sister in the house who, who later joined you in the Ronettes. But yes. I, I know you had a very large extended family, like dozens of cousins. <laughs> yeah. 23, like, first cousins. It was amazing. Um, well, my, you know why, Jesse? My mom had six sisters and seven brothers. Wow. So that's why I had so many first cousins and stuff. And they were my first audience. My seven uncles and my six aunts. These were my audience, and they applauded me every Sunday at my grandmother's house. And that's when I said, I can do this, and I'm only, like, seven years old. Was, was singing part of your Christmases as a kid? Of course. That was how it all started. I was like six years old, and I remember my mother taking—well, my mother was a waitress, you know, and she stood up on her feet all day, and I just had to go sit on Santa's lap. So my mother took me to Macy's, (laughs) and I felt so bad as I grew older to remember, wow, my mother stood up on her feet all day as a waitress, and then she took me to see Santa Claus at Macy's, and we had to stand on line for like two hours. And I said, Mom, I can't go. And she would say, Honey, I'm so tired. I said, But Mom, if I don't sit on Santa's lap, I'm going to be crazy this Christmas. She said, Okay, Ronnie, okay. Or Veronica is what they called me back then. And uh, I sat on Santa's lap, and that That was when I fell in love with Christmas, with Santa, with Frosty, with the tree, everything. I mean, that's when it started, sitting on Santa's lap at Macy's. Why don't we hear a little bit of your classic Christmas recording of Frosty the Snowman, uh, Ronnie Spector and the Ronettes? Yes. Frosty the Snowman. So how old were you when you first went up on stage at Amateur Night at the Apollo? Oh, I was like 11, <laughs> 12, something like way in that age. Tell, tell me about that, that first time that you performed at the, uh, at, at the Apollo. Do you remember it? Oh, God, like it was yesterday. It was my first show ever, you know, professional show. And I remember uh, it was Nedra, myself, Estelle, and two, another cousin, and my cousin Ira, which is a boy cousin, because back then they had Frankie Lyman, the students, Frankie Valley, you know, all these guy singers. So I said to my cousin Ira, I said, maybe you should sing lead. So we go out there to amateur night. I'll never, ever forget. My cousin Ira has the microphone in his hand, and nothing comes out. <laughs> I was petrified. So I grabbed the mic from him and I started singing, why do birds sing? You know, the Frankie Lyman song. So I started and the audience went nuts for me. 
So for me, you know, it was like I was passing because they didn't know what we were, but they loved me. And I said, oh, my God, if I can pass at the Apollo, they'll love me all over the world. And I was very young, you know, to have all these kind of feelings about touring all over the world. And my mother would always say, don't get too excited. This is show business we're talking about. You don't know if you're going to make a hit record. You don't know anything. But I did know I loved the stage, and I got it from a very early age. You and your sister and cousin had this uh, outrageous uh, look um, <laughs> in, in, the, in that beginning of your career. I wonder how long it took uh, for you to, and what you had to do to get your hair as high as it was when you were uh, on stage. I was watching some film clips, and I was very impressed <laughs> at the sheer uh, the sheer height of, of what was on top of your head. Well, I'll tell you what we had to do. First of all, you had to tease it a lot and use a lot of Aquanet hairspray. That's what we used in the 60s, Aquanet. Then you wind it around your hair. Then you twit it again, and then you uh, tease it again. We had a lot of hair. I guess it was, for you know, because of our background and stuff. <laughs> That's what I said about me and Keith Richards. <laughs> if we had married and had kids, we would have great – our kids would have great hair. <laughs> I always say that to Keith. <laughs> I'm Jesse Thorne, and this is the Bullseye Holiday Special. I'm talking to a true fan of Christmas, Ronnie Spector. Every year she celebrates the holidays with a big live extravaganza. It's called Ronnie Spector's Best Christmas Party Ever. When we spoke in 2010, she had just released an album called Ronnie Spector's Best Christmas Ever. Merry, 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 merry Christmas time. I hope you've been thinking of me. I'm right where I want to be. What you say? Hey. Merry, 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 merry Christmas time. Throw another log on the fire. So the height of your career was this really transitional time in popular music. It was this time when um, doo-wop and that kind of thing was on the way out and yes. uh, really harder rock and roll was on the way in. Mm-hmm. And uh, you and your contemporaries were sort of bridging that gap between those two things. Right. And one of the ways that you bridged that gap was by having these, like, actual personal relationships with the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> Tell me about how you first met the Beatles. Okay. Well, first of all, the Beatles hadn't come to America yet, so they weren't even known in America. And when we were over in England, we were, like, on front pages of every paper there. So the uh, the Beatles wanted to see uh, – Decca Records gave us a party because that's what was our label over there. So Decca Records gave us a party, and guess who showed up? The Beatles. <laughs> and John Lennon was with cockeye over me, and uh, he took me in this back room at Decca Records, and I almost had to use a whip to get that guy out of the room. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I met all of them. I love them all. I love the Rolling – the Rolling Stones were my opening act in, in England – 
So I knew them real good. <laughs> we used to travel on the tour bus together, and Keith and I would go, and when it got too foggy and stuff in London, we would pull over, the bus would pull over, and Keith and I would get out and knock on doors, and, and they were so nice. They would open the door, and I would say, hi, I'm Ronnie, Ronnie of the Ronettes, and Keith would say, I'm Keith of the Rolling Stones. They let us in. They give us stones and tea and everything, <laughs> and we take it out to the bus and give Mick some and the other guys, you know. Brian, I mean, everything. I knew those guys better than I knew the American groups. Were your folks still on board for the whole rock and roll star thing <laughs> oh, when they saw yes. that slit in the side of your skirt? Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, my mother toured with us everywhere we went, even the Apollo Theater overseas in England. She was with us every step of the way. Because she told me once, she said, if you sit on a guy's lap and you feel something hard, get up and run. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. I, sat, I was sitting on John Lennon's lap at the plaza, and um, I felt something getting hard. And I got up and ran. And that's a true story. <laughs> and he called me the next day. He was so uh, embarrassed like by it. He said, we want to get out of here. We're like prisoners in this plaza. you got to get us out of here, Ronnie. I said, I can take you up to Harlem to get some uh, ribs and chicken. They said, we'd love it. So I got him out of there, took him up to Harlem. We had a blast. Nobody recognized them. And it was great. They loved it because nobody recognized them. When did you become aware of what a sort of holiday icon that uh, uh, that Phil Spector Christmas record uh, made you and your contemporaries? When did you start to feel that these songs were going to be more than just um, more than just what a Christmas record usually is, which is um, you know just a way to uh, yeah. uh, sell a couple hundred thousand records for uh, uh, <laughs> for a hit band? You know what I mean? Well, I tell you one thing: uh, Phil Spector was Jewish. He didn't know anything about Christmas, so he'd come <laughs> to my house and tell, ask me what. That's why I sang. I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. He'd say, "What did your mother and father do when you were a little girl?" And so all my songs and Forsy the Snowman and Sleigh Ride. I loved slaying so. My my, everything that's on that album of my stuff was actually done from my own words to Phil, and that's how he got. He didn't even think about Christmas because, I, like I said, he was Jewish. So I, uh, I got him really into Christmas. That's how he made that. Uh, it's a Christmas gift for you. Let's hear Ronnie Spector and the Ronettes singing. I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. Okay. Mwah. Bullseye Holiday Special continues after a break. We'll hear more of my interview with girl group legend Ronnie Spector. Plus, Andrew Nas will share a couple of rap songs. It'll be perfect for your holiday party. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. 
I'm Cameron Esposito, the host of Wham Bam Pow. This is an action and sci-fi movie podcast on MaximumFun.org. We talk about punching. We talk about car chases. We talk about uh, arms, muscles that are on arms. And every week I'm joined by panelist Rhea Butcher. That's me. And of course, also... Ricky Carmona. Oh, I'm all up in it. That's what's up. The Afro spokesman. We are going to give you all of the jokes and all of the happiness and all of the information that you need to watch action sci-fi films to the fullest. Mm. Find it at MaximumFun.org or you can subscribe on iTunes. I'm Jesse Thorne. This is the Bullseye Holiday Special. My guest is Ronnie Spector. In the 60s, she recorded some of the most iconic Christmas tunes ever with producer Phil Spector. We spoke in 2010. It was right around the time she put out a new Christmas album. It's called Ronnie Spector's Best Christmas Ever. So you've been doing these holiday shows for uh, more than 20 years now, since the, yes. since, since the end of the 80s. Yep. <laughs> what do you have to do to, to gear yourself up for, uh, for the Christmas season? What, how, do you, how, do you, how do you wind to get yourself into that Christmas place? Well, I've got two kids, two boys, and what I do is I put on a Christmas gift for you, my old Christmas album, you know, and I put that on and then we start, build, uh, you know, doing the Christmas tree and putting all the stuff on it, you know, the bulbs and the, the everything, the peppermint sticks, everything, and that's how I get into Christmas, of course. I grew up in a small, with a very small extended family, but my wife has, uh, like you, dozens of cousins, <laughs> and they have this Christmas Eve party every year at her grandparents' house Yes, with literally like 40 <laughs> direct relations all <laughs> celebrating Christmas together, and I, I wonder if you, if you had any uh, Christmas traditions like that with your huge extended family. Oh, of course. I I mean, I remember my grandmother and all her kids, you know, which were my aunts and uncles, um, they lived on 140th Street in New York, and I lived 151st Street in New York. So every every Christmas we used to go to my grandmother's house, and all my aunts, I remember one aunt loved cigarettes, so I'd buy her cigarettes. Of course, my mother would buy them. I was only like seven or eight. My mother would buy the cigarettes and put them in a Christmas pack, you know, because they were square, so it was easy to wrap. And another aunt loved uh, Sherman's Barbecue on 151st Street, so I did the same thing. They'd wrap it up in tinfoil, and then I'd put uh, Christmas wrappings on it. I did things (laughs) like that for all my aunts and uncles and cousins and... I was the star of the whole family. <laughs> I, I like the idea of the the traditional Christmas gifts being uh, a pack of cigarettes for right. one aunt and some Sherman's barbecue. barbecue. Isn't that something? <laughs> but they wrapped it good and stuff, so it wasn't like when I say barbecue to other people, they say, what? What kind of present is that? I said, well, that's what they wanted. And we didn't grow up in a very uh, you know rich family or even uh, middle class. You know, We lived in Spanish Harlem, so... All those things were very necessary, and my aunts and uncles loved everything I did. I went really deep into your uh, catalog when I was preparing for this interview. Yes. And um, I, I really loved listening to uh, a, a, couple of, a couple of songs that you recorded in the 70s. One of them was, um, was this song called Try Some, Buy Some that you recorded for Apple Records. Yes, with George Harrison. Tell me how you ended up not just uh, being pals with the Beatles, but recording with them. Well, it was very simple. They said, we want Ronnie Spector's voice on Apple Records. And um, my ex-husband took me over to England. 
We got over there, and I get into the studio. There's one person in there, and his hair was long, so I couldn't really see who it was. And I got up, and he was sitting at the piano, and he looked up, and it was George Harrison. And we hugged and kissed. Well, not that kind of kissing, but, you know, <laughs> hugged and kissed and everything. And it was so great. And he wrote, try some, buy some for me, right there on the spot. And we did that song, and... um then I went back to California to be with my uh, adopted children. Let's let's hear "Try Some, Buy Some" from uh, the early nineteen seventies. A yeah, song I loved written it. written by George Harrison, performed by Ronnie Spector. Way back in time, someone said, "Try some." I tried some. Now buy some. I bought some. Whoa, whoa, whoa. After a while, when I had tried them. Also recorded in uh, the 1990s with uh, Joey Ramone of the Ramones. Oh yes, um, love Joey. How did you How did you first meet him? Well, I had met Joey um, like a few years before we recorded and stuff. We'd always meet at this place called the Continental down on Eighth Street, and then we got to talking one night. So he said, "Ronnie, I would love to record you. Have, you're my favorite female singer." So he said, "We got to make a record together." And at the time, I didn't know Joey was sick. You know, I didn't have any clue. And then we would go over to Daniel Ray's house, his best friend, which lived a block from him. And that's when he would bring his lunch. We did uh, like four uh, EP and everything. And I had no idea. We did this one song called Memory, you know, and it was like telling me he will only be a memory in, in the near future. And I had no idea that he was dying and stuff. And it devastated me when I couldn't go and see him in the hospital that very last time. He said, I don't want Ronnie to see me like this. So I didn't see him the very last time. And it broke my heart. He broke, he was the nicest guy. And he was so, um, sorry, genuine. You know, he loved rock and roll. Woke up thinking about you today. Why does it have to be this way? Read your We had some good times, we had fun We drove each other crazy I'll always love you Had you heard his records when you first met him? Oh yes, of course. What did you think of them? I mean, it's 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 something that they're they're so deeply rooted in the music that you made, but they're also so completely different. Well, that's what I liked about them—the fact that they were like me and they liked my music, but they were different from me. That's just like the Beatles and the Stones. We were all so different. 
It's a little Ronnie sitting in the middle of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. And then I come to New York and I've got Billy Joe, Bruce Springsteen, and Joey Ramone in the Ramones. So I, I've been surrounded by people that love my voice, thank God. <laughs> what do you enjoy most about um, being a music performer? I love being in the recording studio because it brings me to the stage with new material. And, of course, I sing all my old songs, but it's nothing like doing something new and fresh and, you know, like the new CD. It has all my songs on the originals. And, you know, Sleigh Ride and Frosty, all those records were like Irving Berlin and stuff. But my stuff that I did now is like stuff that is original, and I love that. Ronnie Spector, we spoke in 2010 shortly after the release of her album, Ronnie Spector's Best Christmas Ever. She continues to celebrate the holidays every year by touring her show, Ronnie Spector's Best Christmas Party Ever. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. You know, I give my email address out at the end of the program. Every week, especially this time of year, I get the same email over and over and over. What rap music should I listen to at the holidays? Well, great news. Our resident rap critic, Andrew Nas, is here to talk about a couple of hip-hop tracks that are perfect for Yuletide cheer. Hey, Andrew, how's it going? Hey, Jesse. What's going on? Well, not much. I'm excited about this Christmas rap segment. Let's talk about Outkast's legendary first record, Player's Ball. We might as well just take a listen to a little bit of it. You know what I'm it's beginning to look a lot like wood. Follow my every step. Take notes on how I crept. I was about to go in depth. This is the way I greet my season. Here's my guess to rep. I kept to say the least. No, no, it can't cease. So I began to piece my two and two together. Got no snowy weather. Have to find something to do better. Bet I set some traps, so shut up that. No sense about some solid night. I got sick, crock if it ain't real, ain't right. I'm like, no matter what the season, forever chill with Smith. I sit my fifth. I chill with West and got my reason. So tell me, what did you expect? You thought I'd break my neck to help. It's a really amazing record. I mean, these guys were like fresh out of high school. How old were they? 17, 18, something like that. Yeah. Late teens. And they were outcast right from the start. Well, that's what's crazy about it is when you think about the fact that their aesthetic is rooted in like a Christmas carol, you know what I mean? Like this was a foundational <laughs> record for the group. This is really where they kind of found their sound. And it totally reframes everything when you realize that it was a Christmas song originally. This ended up being a, a pretty 
significant hit for Outkast and and really launched their careers. Yeah, which is rare and weird. I don't think that's very common that a Christmas song can be slightly edited to seem not like a Christmas song, which is really all they did. I think I think the only edit they made was they cut out uh, Big Boy saying "Deck the Halls." Everything else, the sleigh bells, the ho ho ho, everything else kind of stayed in. I mean, I mean, historically, I don't think people re- even realized that that's what it was. Just kind of crossed over as a regular rap song. I think it'll sound nice between the Bing Crosby and the Nat King Cole. Speaking of uh, surprise Christmas themes, let's take a listen to a, a little bit of a song called Weird by Gucci Mane. Jingle bells, bubble cush smells, six, seven, five, we're out. My trap do numbers, chickens all summers, but come back, dog, we're out. My swag turned up, my swag got a nap. Your Trump seen the champ, better be so goddamn. Chickens with the stamp, I count so much money that my fingers got a crowd. If you're not with that count, I suggest you better bounce. I'm rolling up the print. Put your meds in alien, and you're not in the act. Never say can't ball, give it direct. Kelp shine like lamps, guns, grass, gang, ground. So there's some very charming lines in the song. Uh, you count so much money, my fingers get cramped. Gucci Mane's an alien and... Uh, you're not even at a reference to Outcast um, and, and their album ATLians, but uh, what part of it is Christmas themed? Well, I mean, the chorus is just—he just kind of breaks out into uh, jingle bells for no reason, talking about how his diamonds are the same color as Santa Claus's beard. At this point in Gucci Mane's career, I think it makes perfect sense for him to make a regular record of Christmas Carol for no reason whatsoever. It's almost like the inverse of the uh, Outcast record, where it's like. They had to change a Christmas carol into a regular song, whereas Gucci, as he mentioned, he's kind of weird, so like, it wasn't a big deal for him to just be in the studio. Like, he probably recorded this song in July or something and wasn't even thinking about Christmas. Two thousand nine, which I believe is when this came out, like that guy could rap. Like he was in this kind of like E forty like zone where he was just very into words. And you can hear it here, you know, and just like probably Christmas popped in his head and that became the song. So it's tight. A, a really a really remarkable dude and a really amazing record. Thanks for sharing it with us, Andrew. Yeah, man. I hope Gucci Man's having a good Christmas. I hope he is, too. I, I wish nothing but the best for Gucci Man. Andrew Nas, our resident hip-hop guru, uh, you can find him on Pitchfork and The Wire, Spin, The Fader, other publications. He also blogs at Cocaine Blunts, and uh, you can go there to find his big rundown of the year's best hip-hop, which is something that I look forward to personally. Every single year, I find myself spending hours watching YouTube videos and 
uh, downloading records after he posts that. So please go do that. Thanks so much for joining us, Andrew. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jesse. we like to check in with the brothers McElroy, the hosts of the podcast My Brother, My Brother and Me, to get some advice on our pop culture quandaries. After all, it is an advice podcast that they host. Travis, Griffin, Justin, welcome back to Bullseye. You did those names. I don't want to, sorry, I don't want to nitpick like right from the get-go, but you did do those names out of chronological order, which is how we, which is how we prefer it. I'm going to be honest. You guys are lucky that I remembered all your names. <laughs> I'll tell you guys, the weather outside is frightful uh, mm-hmm. because it's holiday time and we have some holiday related pop culture quandaries for you to solve. You ready to do this thing? Ready I don't base. have a choice. Okay, here's something from Eric. He writes, I play Fagin at the Dickens Christmas Fair, but my wife thinks it's embarrassing and refuses to attend. How do I convince slash bribe her to go? Is this a fair in which people just dress up as, like, Dickensian characters and just, like, walk around in character? It's like the Renaissance Fair, but for 19th century England. How am I not there for that? I need to be there. I hope that's not the case, because there's nothing more unsettling than a guy with a Cockney accent walking around asking if he can recruit your son. (laughs) He's got nimble fingers. Look at his tiny, sweet hands. Examine those digits. You guys are really, you guys are way, way, way sub Dick Van Dyke. (laughs) (laughs) Can you please give this poor man some advice? Oh, that's it. No, okay, that's what you do. You you tell her until you come to the to my show or fair or whatever it is. I still don't understand. I'm going to speak with this Cockney accent as punishment. If she I, won't come to the Dickensian fair, you bring the Dickensian fair to her. This There's is no occasion. Family funerals, love making. There's no occasion that does not call for your Fagan accent. And I would mm-hmm. guess prosthetic nose do you think that he could sweeten the pot by offering her a fine fat goose (laughs) the one as big as me (laughs) (laughs) maybe a pudding of some sort people seem to have a lot of solid pudding back then maybe a solid pudding here's a question from gabe he asks is it an insult to the giver to spend money or gift cards that you received as a gift on bills. I think it's an insult no matter what to tell the giver what you spent the money yeah, on. Yeah, they don't want to know. They they want the transaction to end there. I do I would like to know what bills you're paying with gift cards. <laughs> I'd like to pay you in this $10 gift card, please. You know what? I don't I think that anybody who gives you the most thoughtless present you can give anyone is not allowed to dictate the terms of how you spend that thoughtless, awful present. I think by the definition of giving someone a thoughtless gift, you're sort of buying yourself the luxury of never having to think about it again. Like, I, yeah. I'm pretty sure they don't need an update. They forgot to get you anything. Lindsay writes, when hosting a Christmas or holiday party, what's the obligation for music? 
Must the host play Christmas or holiday music? The obligation is Harry Connick's Harry for the Holidays on repeat, full blast. (laughs) Next question. Travis isn't kidding. Happy holidays, everyone. (laughs) Except anyone in immediate proximity of Travis and his boombox. I think I think the problem is you have to decide whether or not it's a Christmas or a holiday party. If it's a Christmas mm-hmm. party, I think you, you can lean into the festive music. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I mean, it seems a little scroogey to to avoid the very theme of the party that you're throwing. If you're throwing a holiday party, I don't really know what the protocol is there. Just cheerful music? I get optimistic? Well, there's also that like weird like plucky you know string music that's like completely unidentifiable as any known song. But you turn it down so it's just like on, you know, the first setting and you walk into a room and it's like hidden behind, you know, the tree or something. Yes. <laughs> like a CD of things that sort of sound like green sleeves. Sure. Yes. I gotcha. You. Well, Travis, Justin, Griffin, uh, thank you so much for sharing your holiday sort of wisdom with us on Bullseye. I'm glad I could help. Merry Christmas. The McElroy brothers are the hosts of My Brother, My Brother, and Me. You can find the show free online in iTunes or at MaximumFun.org. Last time I played Father Christmas, I stood outside a department store. A gang of kids came over and mugged me, and knocked my reindeer to the floor. And said, Father Christmas, give us some money, don't mess around with those silly toys. We'll beat you up, don't hand it over, we want your bread, so don't make us annoyed. Give all the toys to the little After a break, hear my interview with the B-52's Fred Schneider. We talk about fruitcake and presents. It's pretty cool. It's the Bullseye Holiday Special for MaximumFun.org and NPR. My name is Dave. My name is Graham. And we're both the hosts of Stop Podcasting Yourself, which is a podcast from Canada. In fact, we've won the best podcast in Canada two years in a row at the Canadian Comedy Awards. (laughs) Sounds made up. It does sound made up. Even as I was saying it, I'm like, did that, did that really happen? <laughs> Here's the thing. Stop podcasting yourself. It's a very positive show yeah. about two people who hate absolutely everything. <laughs> but we love you and you uh, listening through all this promo. Ah, the people have already fast forwarded yeah. through this part of the promo. Anyway, thanks. We're Stop Podcasting Yourself, and you can find us at MaximumFun.org. Yeah. 
It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. There are few bands that better define outrageousness than the B-52s, and there is no greater symbol of that group's outrageousness than Fred Schneider. His signature, I don't know what exactly to call it, talk singing, bellowing, proclaiming, is one of the most identifiable vocal styles in all of rock music. It's a voice that begs to be impersonated. Maybe you've done it at karaoke yourself. It is literally taking all of the self-control I can muster not to do a bad Fred Schneider impression right now. I spoke with the actual Fred Schneider in 2010, just after he released a Christmas record with his group, The Superions. It's called Destination Christmas. Before we get to our conversation, let's hear a little bit of their song, Fruitcake. What you making? Fruitcake! What you baking? Fruitcake! Candy cherries, red dye number two. Green cherries, green ones too. It's fruitcake. It's fruitcake. Pecans or walnuts. Citrus peel. Lots of stuff. Add what you feel. Sticks of butter. Cinnamon. Molasses, lots of dark rum, artificial color, artificial flavor. If your family don't want it, give it to a neighbor. It's fruitcake. It's fruitcake. What you making? Fruitcake. Fred Schneider, welcome to Bullseye. Good to be here. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Thank you very much. It, it, it's uh, when did you? What time of year was it when you recorded this Superions album and you wrote all these Christmas records? Well, um, I would go down to Orlando and work with the guys, and I had Christmas ideas, and the B Fifty Twos didn't want to do a Christmas record, so um, we were going to do a Christmas record, a Halloween record, and a regular record, but we just got caught up doing Halloween songs and. Um, we wrote nine songs in 11 days, one of which was a Halloween song. <laughs> to be fair. Yeah, because yeah, we wanted to do a Halloween record, but that'll be next year. Let's talk a little bit about your career with the B-52s. The group of you founded the band in 1977, mm-hmm. and your recording breakthrough with Cosmic Thing was in 1989. So you were certainly veterans by the time you became major stars. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a little bit about what kind of scene you were part of to the extent that there was a scene in 1977 in Athens, Georgia. It was basically, Athens was not the music mecca it is now. It was nothing like that. Like Michael Stipe said, you could like lay down in the middle of the main street and not get hit by a car on a Friday night. We were just a bunch of nuts hanging out. And we just got together one night and made a song. And from that point on, we created a band because we had nothing better to do. Was there like even a place for you to play? Uh, we played on a kitchen table. <laughs> um, we played in the living room of some my friend's house. That was our first gig. I told him we had a band, even though we were just rehearsed once or, you know, just got together and jammed. We had one song called... Well, this dates, you could tell when we started, Killer Bees had arrived in Brazil, so we had a song called Killer Bees. That's just, you know, all the different disasters that you read about in, like, tabloids strung together into a song. One of your first singles uh, was also one of your most iconic. Let's hear a little bit of the B-52s and Rock Lobster. 
to say i i didn't know that rock lobster had come had had been written at the very beginning of your careers and i was sort of surprised that your aesthetic was so fully formed right at the very birth of the band what were the different members of the band sort of bringing to the table that uh made the kind of crazy pastiche that the b-52s were and are um, well, Ricky learned how to play guitar watching um, educational TV. Um, <laughs> Keith was a drummer in different bands locally. Everyone's musical taste was very eclectic. We liked everything from Perez Prado to Ema Sumac to James Brown to punk music. We had a party. Anything went. It wasn't just one style of music. I've always been writing. I mean, the last thing I... Before I dropped out of college, the last thing I did... I didn't want to do a final project, but then somebody says, I'm going to do a book of poetry. I thought, hmm, I'm going to do a book of poetry, too. So I just wrote crazy stuff. And the teacher said, you know, I don't understand this at all, but I know you're serious. And I got an A. (laughs) And then actually some of the poems became uh, There's a Moon in the Sky. Um, A couple of songs became a couple of poems became the basis for songs. What were the what kinds of things were the poems about that your teacher led was led to believe that they were quite serious? Um, well, they were literate. I mean, I used a lot of similes in that. And, um, Look, there was synecdoche <laughs> in the poems. Yeah, th- well, well, I had to read them in front of the class, and everyone just looked stone-faced except my friend who was just laughing the whole time. Um, well, I had the first poem I wrote was, it's called Flamingo. It's something like, let's see, Crimson and Rose Feathered Stain, Side of recent assassination motives foul and clandestine belie the murder of beloved flamingo by unassuming roget spoonbill <laughs> that's the um gist of my final project for creative writing <laughs> were you surprised when cosmic thing brought you from beloved cult act of 11 years to multi-platinum recording artist uh it was well we were all going broke so it was a welcome change (laughs) the record company was ignoring us they didn't even the record company didn't even get i mean i had to literally go with the a and r person while the band did sound checks and go to different radio stations to beg them to play love shack because everyone thought it was too weird well i mean it was pretty weird it It was pretty weird (laughs) but it's i think it's probably i thought it was our most accessible thing you know on the the album and you know finally it just started going up the charts all around the country at different times I and mean, it was never like consistently like paula abdul and millie Vanilli were the two above us at the time it's bullseye i'm jesse thorne you're hearing my conversation with fred schneider he sings in the b-52s and with a group called the superions we spoke in 2010 just after the superions released a christmas album 
Let's hear a little bit of Crummy Christmas Tree by the Superions. My guest is the group's lead singer, Fred Schneider. Had you been, like, uh, saving Christmas song ideas for years by the time you uh, cut this record? Like, did you have a secret notebook in your... Yes, but it's basically titles. Like I said, I'm going to write a song called Fruitcake. And I'm (laughs) I'm serious. I just have the word fruitcake. So I knew I was going to do a song called Fruitcake. And actually, Crummy Christmas Tree, I just came up with one Christmas at a party... And, you know, because they say, every, okay, everyone has to sing a song. And I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to sing a Christmas song. And so I just made up Crummy Christmas Tree, and hopefully it's going to become a family and friendly favorite. Crummy, crummy Christmas tree. Crummy, crummy Christmas tree. Crummy, crummy Christmas tree. fondest uh, holiday memories what did you draw upon when you were writing and recording this record we drew upon a lot of glasses of wine (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i can i can write songs they just come to me the song uh chillin at christmas um i i said you know let's do some music in this genre the sort of loungy and um Actually, it was sort of uh, reminiscent of like a Grace Jones track, slightly, but you know the melodies were original and all that. And then I just uh, came up with the words and "Under the Tree." "Under the Tree" was the one sort of inspired by Grace Jones' track, and "Chillin'" was um, just I don't know. I wanted a song about an avalanche. <laughs> and why wouldn't you? Well, we have the abominable snowmen, avalanches, sleigh bells. Christmas tree. I mean, it's it's a multifaceted holiday album. Have you developed cr- new Christmas ideas since you recorded this Christmas album? Have you started in on uh, Superion's Christmas album too? I do have I have about four or five song ideas. Some are pretty much written. What, what are the important topics that you haven't yet covered when it comes to Christmas? Well, I have to mention Hanukkah and Kwanzaa, and uh, what is it? Solstice. Sure. Um. What? Yeah. Hmm. My aunt in Oakland celebrates the winter solstice. Oh, there you go. She's cool. I think she thinks Christmas has something to do with the patriarchy or something. I don't remember. Well, it's all based on paganism. So I just say go for the pagan part. That's more fun than, you know. <laughs> Though I, I do thank a certain person for having their birthday on the 25th. So it made that record possible. Hey, maybe before we go, we should have, you're probably the most legendary declaimer in the history of popular music. Is there some sort of holiday-themed declamation that you might make for all our listeners out there in what we'll call holiday land? Give me presents. (laughs) Fred Schneider, one of the founding members of the B-52s and the kitsch-heavy side project, the Superions. We spoke in 2010. Mm, Honey, I'm so glad we rented the chalet. Oh, me too. What a view of the mountains. It's crazy. 
Christmas Eve and I don't want to leave your side. I'm chilling at Christmas with the missus. Chilling at Christmas, Christmas kisses. I'm chilling at Christmas with the missus. Every week on the show, we close with a recommendation from yours truly. It's the outshot. There are many, many terrible Christmas pop songs. Our greatest songwriters have written them. Our greatest pop stars have recorded them. In some cases, those two people are the same person. Talking about Paul McCartney. Indeed, there have been relatively few pop Christmas carols that aren't terrible in the last 50 years or so. I was sitting here trying to think of some, and I came up with the Phil Spector Christmas record and almost nothing else. I mean, does anyone on earth actually like that Wham! song? But there is one song, one beacon of hope, one light in the darkness, This Christmas by Donny Hathaway. Hang all the mistletoe, I'm gonna get to know you better. This Christmas, and as we trim the tree, how much fun it's gonna be together. Christmas, the fireside is blazing bright. We're caroling through the night, and this Christmas. It's soulful, it's accessible to anyone. There's enough sleigh bells on it to remind you that it's a Christmas record, but then there's that beautiful little keyboard riff to balance out the kitsch. And most important of all, there's Donny Hathaway, one of the greatest pop singers of the 20th century. Is the kind of song that makes you want to forgive your parents and spend some time with your sister and even give your in-laws a big hug. That's what Christmas is all about, right? That's my outshot. This Christmas and as I look around Your eyes outshine the town they do This Christmas fireside is blazing bright We're carrying
That's it for this week's Bullseye. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Julia Smith. Our senior producer is Nick White. Our intern is Brian Bolt. Thanks to Brian for production assistance on this week's episode. Interstitial music is provided by Dan Wally. Bullseye's theme music is provided by The Go Team. Thanks to them and their label, Memphis Industries. You can find this show and all of our shows for free at MaximumFun.org. You can also subscribe for free to our podcast in iTunes or wherever. If you have thoughts about the show, you can always email me, jesse at MaximumFun.org. And uh, that's about it. Have a great holiday, everybody. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature song. Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.